This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, shake and bake, Cal. Woo! Shake and bake! Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we're talking negotiation. Can you negotiate your rent? Sure you can. How about mortgage fees? Yup. Car purchases? (laughs) Heck yeah. But how should you negotiate? Today, we negotiated to get a guy on the show who's a top negotiator himself from Money Talks News. It's Stacy Johnson. Plus, the woman who says you can negotiate a way to afford anything, it's Paula Pant. And last, say hello to the guy who's always trading stocks for gold-colored rocks from LenPenzo.com. It's Len Penzo. Plus, during our Friday FinTech segment, how's COVID changed the game for the apps on your phone? Here with an update on where the ball's headed, we welcome frequent contributor from Finn Venture Studio, Ryan Falvey. Of course, to make this deal even sweeter, we'll magnify a lucky listener's money for you, and I'll astound you with some of Joe's travel-related trivia. And now, a guy who can only evade me for so long, it's Joe Saul Seahai. I'm coming for you, Joe! We try the best we can to stay away from Doug, but I have a feeling he's on the hunt for us and is going to find us. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the weekend. I am Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And what a fun show we have today talking negotiation. And we're very lucky because we negotiated to get the woman back who used to be in the desert, but now is in an undisclosed location. Paula Pant is here. I certainly am. And I'm drinking a uh... A cup of coffee, even though it's like late afternoon, early evening. So I, I guess I've moved on to something other than what than the apple cider vinegar that I'm normally <laughs> sipping. <laughs> yeah, but you're a night owl, right? I mean, you start sipping coffee now so you can start working on your stuff around 2 a.m. Is that the deal? Yeah, I, I don't think the term for that is night owl. I think the term for that is procrastinator. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Wait until you sweat. And the guy who is in Los Angeles, California, deep under Los Angeles, California, in the bunker, Mr. Lampenzo's back. Hey, hold on, Paul. You said it's late afternoon because I my clock right now says about eight in the morning. I, maybe I've, uh, I, you know, that, that's, that's what, what happens. you get for a living like deep underground where you haven't seen the sun in 732 days. I just, I mean, I just got out of bed. So I guess I, guess I have uh, forgot to move my clocks forward or backwards the last few years, but. When, when Len was growing up, Paula, his parents told him to never go near the cellar door. But one day he got brave and he opened it and he saw these wonderful, magical things like trees 
and grass and the sun. It was, no, I'm sorry. That's a, I, I thought you were going to say when I went, opened the cellar door and I went in, I saw magical things like jarred food, you know, canned, <laughs> Bottles of canned wine. peaches. Yes. You grew up around those though. <laughs> Seeing the sun is different for lead. That by the way, is not my joke. That's a uh, emo Phillips joke, but here the guy who's no joke and is going to save this podcast for money talks news. We finally got him here. Stacy Johnson's here. Well, thanks for having me, Joe. I really appreciate it. But I don't think I can save this podcast. I don't think anything can save this podcast, but I will give it my best shot. That is good. The bar is high, Stacey. The bar, the bar is, is high. high. Well, it's it's great to have you because you're a guy who I, I've been watching your videos forever, and now you've joined the ranks of podcasters. Tell us what you're doing. Well, I saw the kind of cars you guys were driving, Joe, and the, and the women <laughs> on your arm. And I thought, you know what? I need to do this, too. I need to get on this podcast and think. So I've abandoned television entirely. I'm still on 30 stations. Nobody knows it yet because I haven't told them. But I'm going to be done with TV shortly. And the reason why is because, well, I'm just old as hell. I don't want to be on TV anymore. That's why. (laughs) Well, we're glad to have you in the podcasting ranks. I think the whole thing about all this money we're making, you might want to rethink. But it's great to have another guy out there trying like the rest of us. We got a great show today. We've got Stacey Johnson here. We got Len. We got Paula. Let's talk negotiating. Today, to kick off our discussion on negotiation, I thought we would feature a piece that we found recently that was fantastic from the amazing Paychecks and Balances website, of course. Rich Jones over there not only has a great podcast, but also a fantastic website. Today, our celebrity reader, believe it or not, it's the author himself, Rich Jones. How I negotiated my rent down and saved over $100 per month, and it is narrated by the author, aka me. Ever wondered if it's possible to negotiate your monthly rent down? I'm here to tell you that it is indeed a thing, and it can happen in different ways. Let me tell you my story. A few months ago, I received my lease renewal paperwork. Even with the pandemic, I expected my rent price would go up at least a small amount. When I opened the envelope and saw that my rent hadn't increased at all, my dismay turned into disbelief. It was the first time in my apartment life that I wouldn't be ponying up more money for the next 12 months. I started to sign right away, but decided to sit on it since I had a couple months to respond. Moving wasn't on my radar, but it was a good time to reflect on where I'm at in life and if my place is still the right place. A month after receiving the paperwork, I got a note from the property management company offering a credit if I signed the lease agreement in the next five days. Sounds like a good deal, right? No rent increase plus a credit to stay? Sold, or so you would think. I noticed a lot of folks had been moving out on my floor and new tenants weren't replacing them. I also researched the rental market and surrounding properties and noticed rent in general had stayed pretty flat or, in some cases, gone down. Many properties were offering aggressive move-in specials and lower rental rates for longer leases, which signaled a renter's market. After a couple more days of thought and wondering if I could really negotiate my rent down, I decided to ask for more. I wrote the company an email that went something like this. Hi there. Is it possible to increase the credit to, insert amount, I've enjoyed my two years here and would love to stay, but with all the rent specials I'm seeing, my job being work from home for the foreseeable future, a significant increase in at-home cost, and the prospect of not having to hear ongoing construction across the street, it's becoming harder to justify. The extra relief would make my life better. 
I'll re-sign ASAP if we can get there. Thanks to the team for all the hard work to keep the community informed and satisfied during this odd time. We had a few exchanges and within a day I'd gotten the high end of what I wanted and signed the new lease. The impact? I essentially decreased my rent by over $100 per month. It wasn't worth the property manager and owner losing a good tenant, having to pay costs to repaint and clean, search for a new tenant, and have the unit vacant for the foreseeable future. I didn't want to move during the pandemic without good reason. Both sides got what they wanted. While this is an example specific to negotiating your rent down, it also applies to salary negotiation, subscription services, and more. And the best part, it doesn't have to be super stressful. All you have to do is ask. Because chances are, if you don't, you'll always wonder if you could have done better. Where's the peace of mind in that? Big thanks to Rich and, of course, for another great podcast, by the way. Paychecks and Balances podcast is a fantastic listen. Uh, Go listen to Rich and Company. Uh, We'll have a link to them in the show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Well, let's talk about negotiation, Stacey. I would imagine all those Money Talks news videos, negotiation has to be something that you've talked about maybe once or twice or 500 times. I would say closer to 500 times. I've talked a lot about negotiating because, you know, it's super important and it's easy. But you say it's easy. Then why does nobody do it? Like I, I, I always I'm fearful of negotiating. Because they're ashamed because they don't, don't want to sound cheap. This is why when I go into negotiate a hotel room, my wife stays in the car because I'm going to go up to the counter and I'm going to say, give me a deal. Give me a deal. Can I have a deal? How about a deal? If you can't give me a deal, can I have the Elvis suite for the same price? I mean, it just embarrasses her. So she stays in the car when I go in to do that. But, you know, so some people are just embarrassed to negotiate. They need to get the hell over it. But the interesting thing that I want to know, when you walk into the hotel and you try to get a deal, how often are you successful? It depends. I mean, if there's a convention in town, I'm not successful, although I might get something free. Like, do me at least waive the stupid, uh, what's it called, the resort fee. Oh, yeah, you know, like yeah. Something like that. But if, if, there, if the place isn't busy, what I'll do often is, and this goes with any kind of thing, actually, but I'll say, and I will really do this, I'm not lying, I'll say I really like staying at the Hyatt, but you know, uh, the W down the street, will accommodate me for $50 less a night. You're my favorite hotel, but would you mind meeting their price? And if that's true, I mean, you know, you don't lie. If that's true, you might get a deal. And you also find, though, when you can't get a deal that you do get upgrades? Yes, I do. I often do. Wow. I'm the guy on the third floor facing the top of the convention center. So maybe I need to learn from from Stacey. Paul, are you a negotiator? On the topic of negotiating hotels, what I have learned is a lot of hotels... If you book directly through them rather than through a third party, they will waive the resort fee, but they won't necessarily do that right up front. So what I've learned to do is to call them, or if I'm in town already, go in and say, hey, if I were to book directly through you, if I were to just book right here at the desk right now, would you be willing to waive the resort fee? Is that a policy that you offer? Then the other thing that I do is I will have looked up what the cost of booking that hotel online, like at booking.com or through Hotels Tonight. And then I'll say, do you price match for any of these third-party providers? And so then I'll get the price match plus the waived resort fee. What do you do then? Do you go to a third-party like Kayak or Hotels.com or someplace like that and, and, and get a price online? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I just pull it up on my phone. I just search. I typically will search for like that particular hotel and pull it up on my phone and you'll see the like on the first page of Google what it costs on all of the various sites like Travelocity and Kayak and this and that. Gotcha. Len, are you a negotiator? I negotiate 
a lot of things. I'm not always successful, but I try to negotiate always for almost everything. And and Stacy, I got to know what your secret is for the hotels with the resort fees. I have struck out every single time trying to get, and I'm just going to say, it's Marriott. They refuse, at least for me, when I've asked them to, to waive that resort fee, they absolutely refuse. They are steadfast with those, and it's really irritating. Often invites, they invite me to stay for free, Lynn. I think it may be a personal thing. Marriott really likes me. <laughs> well, maybe, <laughs> maybe it is me, Stacy. <laughs> I think it may be. But, you know, I had to check my thing. deodorant when I walk up to the front desk. <laughs> well, you know, this reminds me, too, of uh, airplanes. If you're going to try to get into first class or something like that, which is not easy to do. But the point is to be really super friendly, to be funny, to be talking like we're talking to each other right now. Because they get pissed off people all day. And so when somebody walks up and says, you know, you look awesome. You look like you're a really happy person. You have beautiful eyes. You know, even if it's a guy, whatever, it doesn't matter. Just say something friendly and you're going to be off you know, two steps ahead of everybody else. Yes. So you find killing them with kindness is the way to go. It's the only way I've ever gotten anything. If it weren't for that, I wouldn't have ever had sex. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's it. <laughs> yes. You don't even need the Marriott if you don't know how to do that, Lynn. <laughs> It's like all these years, and, and here we are. Uh, let's talk about other types of negotiation. Paula, when you're negotiating on a house from your different real estate transactions, tell me some of the keys to real estate negotiation that have worked for you. So oftentimes I will talk to either the seller or the seller's agent to find out what their motivation is, because not everybody is necessarily looking for the highest price. Some people want a quick close. Some people don't want a whole bunch of contingencies because those contingencies indicate that there's a deal, a chance that the deal might fall through. You know, so if I get that sense, if I get the sense that the owner wants to move out quickly or there's some kind of time constraint, I won't necessarily try to negotiate on price. The thing that I will offer is, hey, look, I'm going to offer you there will be no financing contingency, no appraisal contingency. Uh, we'll do only a five-day inspection period instead of a 10-day period. So you're already giving away some stuff in exchange for price or for something else? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so I'll say, look, here's my offer. Like the price point may not be, you know, exactly what you were looking for, but in exchange for that, here's what else I can bring to the table. My negotiation strategy zooming out is that anytime I ask for something, I volunteer to also give something in return. So at the hotel example, it's, I'm going to book directly through you rather than through a third-party provider so that that way you I know you won't have to pay the fee to the third-party provider. In exchange for that, would you be willing to price match with me or give me some waived resort fee or something like that, right? So I'm coming to them saying, I will give you X, and in exchange for that, would you be willing to consider giving me Y? And so the same is true with real estate. You know, I'll say, I'm offering 15% below asking price, but... What I can also offer is X, Y, Z, A, B, C that is going to be more competitive than the other offers you're getting. Stacy, do you do that as well, where you give something away when you're negotiating? Well, I think when you're negotiating, again, almost anything, and I think what Paul said is spot on. Everybody has their expectation from this transaction. And it may be, as Paula suggested, maybe it's a quick close. Maybe I need money now. You know? And the key is to try to find out what it is that's going to make that person feel like they won. And you, so you can also win. Yeah. Because obviously every successful negotiation, both sides feel that they won. The problem in real estate, of course, is that you're often going through agents, so you don't get to talk to that seller. 
You know what Len's favorite uh, way to negotiate real estate is? He always starts off with, how close are you to the railroad track, Stacy? That's the first, <laughs> the first thing he says. Can you put me right next to the railroad track? Because that worked for you, didn't it, Len? You got right on the railroad track. Joe, I've learned. I've learned from my mistakes, okay? All right? Quit beating me up on that. <laughs> I lived with that for 10 years. Oh, my God. Len hears, Len hears a train coming. He already starts shaking. <laughs> is that why you do the model train thing? Is that therapy? Is that, is that the reason why? Well, it's, <laughs> no, it's not. But yes, it's therapy. <laughs> uh, uh, when you've negotiated real estate, Len, where do you start? Lately, I haven't bought a house in 20-some years. But when it comes to refinancing... It's knowledge, and, and, and this is really goes for anything in negotiations. The, the, to me, the two things that give people leverage when it comes to negotiating is knowledge, knowledge of what's out there also so you can hit your uh, opponent who you're negotiating with with facts that you can say, well, look, this person's charging this for that or what have you, or I can go walk out the door and go buy it here for this much. And the other thing is I've just kind of hit, alluded to is – the willingness to walk away. If you have those two things in your pocket, you are going to do very well in your negotiations. So learn as much as you can about the lay of the land and what's out there, and then be willing to walk away if you don't get what you're looking for. So th those are the two best things. I mean, for example, I just refinanced um, my house again for the sixth time, I think it is. There's lots of fees out there, and you can, for example, one of the fees they have for refinancing is a... Um, notary fee. I went online and looked, hey, well, what's a common notary fee? What's reasonable for, and this is for a notary who comes to your house to sign the documents. And I noticed they were charging me $250 for a notary fee. And I noticed online that more, more to the point is 100 to usually between 100 and $175. So that's how you negotiate that. And it's hard for the other person to argue that when you can show them. Sure. And they already have your business and they want to keep it at that point. Exactly. I mean, for That's them, right. it's 150 bucks, which based on the huge amount that they're going to make refinancing anyway, is, is a drop in the bucket. I found that to be the case too, when it comes to knowledge, Len, what you're saying about that. I've found that the more I interview lots of different people and shop around, the better I find out knowledge. Like I used to be afraid of shopping around because I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to look somebody in the eye and go, you know what, I'm going to shop you. Because being a guy that was in sales early in his career, I thought, man, I always hated it when people did that to me. But then I found that when I interviewed five people, it wasn't about that, about not being able to have this relationship with this person. It was when I interviewed five people, I finally understood what the industry was like a little bit from a little bit closer perspective, much, much better. Can I give you one more thing that I've learned that's really important? And I, I think I've spoken about this before, but the best negotiation is when both sides win, not when you win and beat the other guy to a pulp. And I learned that the hard way when I first bought my latest house. Money was very tight, and I got a guy to put in my irrigation system in my backyard, and I beat him down. He was just starting out, so he was trying to you know, get his business going. So I beat him down, and what happened was he gave me the price all right, but he used substandard materials. So in the end, I won the negotiation, but I ended up losing in the long run because I had to redo my entire irrigation system. So, you know, the best negotiation is both sides have to really come away winners here. You don't want to beat the other side into submission. And by the way, that bagged irrigation system, just so we can close the loop, that's why Len finally moved underground. Because well, he had <laughs> well, a floodplain. Yeah, it it kind of helped dig the bunker already. <laughs> <you know? laughs> 
This already, already was a two for one irrigation and some pre-digging. Let's talk about negotiating cars, right? Because we talked real estate. That's a big purchase cars. Stacy, any special tips for people negotiating a car? Now I have to tell you that I'm 65 years old and have never bought a new car. I bought lots of used cars though. Let me give you an example. I used to live in Cincinnati. I've owned Mercedes for many years. I think I'm on my last one, though. I'm getting tired of them. They're breaking them a lot more than they used to. But anyway, that's a side thing. A guy had a Mercedes for sale. It was an S-Class, big car, you know, older, five or six years. No, seven, eight years, probably. He wanted 9000 car was worth 9000 I said, I'll give you six. He said, why would I, why would I take six? The car's worth nine. I said, you know, it is worth nine. But it's not worth nine to me. Because I'm not, I'm not sure this thing will even fit in my garage. There's lots of other used Mercedes around. And, and look, I'm not trying to rip you off. Your car is worth nine, but, I, but it's not worth, it's only worth six to me. So call me if you want to sell it for six. And it's kind of like Lynn said, I was willing to walk away. And I, and I actually was. I'm not that great of a poker player. I didn't really care. Sure enough, the guy called me back the next day and I bought the car for six. Because you were there. I mean, he could either wait for nine, which he probably get sometime in the future, but he doesn't know how long it's going to be until he gets nine. Yeah. And you know, another thing too, rich person. What does a rich person want? Not to deal with people like me. You know, he wants to get rid of the stupid car. So he doesn't want to talk to nine other people. You know, he doesn't want to get phone calls all day. So he just wants to get rid of it. And so you can kind of tell who it is you're talking to, who you're, who you're dealing with, and try to get an idea of what's going to make that deal work for them and for you. I found that same thing, Stacy. when you talk about rich people. If you're buying furniture for a new house, is state sales. Go to estate sales. We Some of the estate sales we went to in Michigan, there were people that were just gutting their house it, their furniture looked like they just gutted it three years before and we're just redoing it. They got bored and decided that they wanted to redo everything. And man, did we get some beautiful stuff for nearly free. It was, was amazing. You got to love rich people. <laughs> Paula, how about you? I'm assuming you also are A, from Cincinnati and B, drive used cars. Yes. <laughs> yes. Both of those statements are accurate. The, so the newest car I've ever purchased was four or five years old. And that was the absolute newest. That was like, I, I, I was feeling like Paris Hilton when I bought that. You could almost um, smell yeah. the new car smell. Almost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, who drives anything this new? That's just ridiculous. Why would anyone drive something so new? My first car that didn't smell like feet. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's a website that the last time that I bought a car uh, called, oh goodness, what's it called? Carvana. And that's a site where there's no negotiation. Like they set every vehicle at a reasonable price. You buy it or you don't. And that's it. Like they, they don't negotiate with anyone. They just have a, a flat rate. You buy the car online. You press the button. There's no dealership. Like they, they deliver it to you. Done and done. I actually really like that model because what I absolutely hate is sending off emails to a bunch of different dealers or a bunch of different private sellers, having to do the back and forth. It's draining. It's irritating. It, you know, it's, it, ugh. if I can, if I can press a button, buy something like a good, a decent used car, and that's the end of the story. Great. Now I have additional time that I can spend at the gym. I can spend working on my business. I can spend sleeping. All of those are 
solid. See, I like that negotiation back and forth as long as it's online. The second you call me and you want to talk back and forth, I just don't think quick enough. But if you give me a little time and I once I figured out that I could think about it and then email back and then they email me back or text back and forth, that type of negotiation I could do all day. I don't know if it's that it's less confrontation. I actually think it's that I can be a little more thoughtful with my response. I hired a professional negotiator once too for a car, uh, for hmm. a story. I, yeah, I hired a car guy. In fact, I just told you I never bought a new car. That was a lie because I bought a new car. My wife and I bought a new car for her. I've never owned a new car. Uh, but we bought a little Mercedes trucklet, little SUV thing. So I, I did a story for TV news where I tried to negotiate my best deal. I, get, I went to one of those things. Uh, I forget what they're called now. But you, you can go to BJ's or Sam's Club or whatever, and, you can, and they'll give you a certificate to get a cheaper car. And then I hired this guy who cost 1200 bucks, And he beat me. I, I beat the, the coupon from BJ's, but he, he beat the best deal I could get. Did he beat you by 1200 bucks? Yeah, he did. He, he beat me wow. by about 1700 bucks. Yeah. What was his uh, methodology? Did he share how he did it? No. Well, I mean, this is what he does for a living. He has yeah. contacts with all the dealers. But I was really surprised that he could make up that 1200 bucks. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I fancy myself, you know, after all, I'm Stacy Johnson. I could do everything. <laughs> <laughs> but as it turns out, I'm not the best negotiator in the world. We did that, by the way, with a home designer uh, when we moved to Texas. We hired a designer. I thought, what a flipping waste of money hiring somebody to design your house. But the discounts they got on everything and the stuff they found at estate sales that cost nothing, this piece we've taken with us to two separate houses, it's this terracotta soldier. It still is the number one. Whenever anybody comes to our house, they always go, oh my God, that's beautiful. I know that this designer got it for 50 cents at an estate sale. Got it for nothing. And it still is like the number one piece in our house. It's amazing. Uh, uh, Len, any car advice before we move on? Just get lots and lots of prices, cars especially. I mean, because that's where you can really ferret out the extra fees they tack on and what kind of deals you can get. So I'd say that. Let me give one last point I have too that really helps in negotiating. If you have cash in hand and you're in person, you can usually get a slight discount just by showing them the cash. Say, look, here it is right now. Uh, and, and this is for big things, really, for big ticket items I'm talking about. If you've got the cash in hand and, and you lay it on the table on a private sale, usually they will take it at a discount because they see that cash right there. We're going to call that Len's big takeaway tip. Paula, what's your big takeaway tip in negotiating? Anytime you ask for something, always give something else in return so that that way it's, uh, you're creating a win-win for both. You're giving as well as getting. And Stacy, you've got the last word. Uh, know what you want when you go into any kind of a negotiation. What are you after? You after a bigger room? You after a resort fee exclusion? What are you after when you're, when you're negotiating for that car? And, and, and look at what the other person, try to figure out what the other person wants to, to make them feel successful. Well, this week on our special Friday FinTech segment, we're going to go back to frequent contributor Ryan Falvey. For those of you that don't know who Ryan is, he is one of the people who definitely has the pulse of what's going on in the FinTech community because he runs FinVenture Studio, an incubator that not only helps entrepreneurs in the FinTech space crystallize and finalize that idea they've had and make it into not just a viable, but a great product. They also invest in those companies. So 
Here's a guy who puts his money where his mouth is when it comes to fintech, talking about where are we headed, what's changed. Ryan Falvey coming back down to the basement. And on my dad's shortwave radio is our friend Ryan Falvey back. How are you, man? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Well, great, I connect again. Likewise. And it was funny talking to our mutual friend, Zach Pettit, a couple weeks ago. And man, is he a fan of yours, which I thought was really awesome. Just what a small world it is. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's been kind of in, involved in this for, for a really long time. He's one of those people that really cares about you know entrepreneurs and kind of helping them. I think pretty much everything he's done in his career has kind of been aligned to that. So birds of a feather. Yeah, he is such a resource. But that's also why I wanted to reach out to you today, Ryan, is because, you know, Zach and I talked a lot about where we think the ball's headed, stuff that you and I talked about in January. But what he and I didn't talk about, and I think is really important, I'm sure you've seen studies, you've seen all kinds of analytics around the changing way people are using their devices now. And I bet with COVID, well, let me ask you, has there been much of a change in the way that you've seen consumers use fintech over the last six months? It's interesting. Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that the answer is just more of them are using fintech. That's the change. I'm not sure they're changing how they use the products they're using, but I think that adoption curve has shifted forward dramatically. And so early on when the pandemic hit, it was interesting. There was this kind of immediate crisis type of moment where everyone kind of clamped down. And for most of our companies, they were really more worried about you know their capital and raising money and those types of things. I saw a little bit of a slowdown in consumer adoption, consumer behavior, but it was within it was weeks. And actually, as we started seeing more data by you know really by April May, we had more users using these platforms. We had more engagement kind of across the board. So I, I think what this has done is it just shifted a lot of the the demand of these products forward pretty dramatically. I mean, the, and the answer is pretty obvious. I mean, in many parts of the country, you could not go into a bank branch. And I think very few people would want to go into a bank branch now. And so you are having to adopt digitally. And, and I think one of the one of the ways that's changed is I think for a lot of people, they weren't really comfortable putting their banking credentials on the internet before. And now there's really no choice. And so similar to Zoom, you know, like, ah, I don't want to do a video call in my house. Well, you kind of have to. And so once you do it, you're like, ah, this is actually pretty good. It's a little better. It's actually better than leaving and going in and meeting this person live. Well, and I was wondering about that because I think there's a significant part of the population that in our heads, we thought a Zoom call was tough. We thought, oh, this technology is tough. And then you start doing that and you realize, oh, this technology is way easier than I thought. I feel like to some degree, there's this perceived difficulty with fintech. How do I get it on my phone? How do I sign up? And I know that, you know, all of the entrepreneurs that we talk to, people that have aligned with your studio and others, you know, they try to make it as easy as possible. But in our heads, there's this big brick wall. Yeah. And I think that that's, you just kind of get, it gets broken down. It had to get broken down a bit. And, and so that beneficiary of that is going to be these digital financial services products. And frankly, the bigger financial institutions are helping to do that. I think that your JP Morgans and Wells Fargo's and Banks of America, the world, they're also pushing their customers to adopt these digital tools. And so when, you know, you kind of open, you, they're, they're breaking down the wall for a lot of, I don't even think early adopters, mainstream consumer or people, maybe consumers who may have even been resistant to using these tools, and then once that barrier is broken, we've tended historically, and I think in the pandemic, it's been exactly the same. Once someone downloads one fintech app, whether that's their own bank or something else, they'll download more and they'll use them. We've been talking about the death rattle in the throat of brick and mortar banks for quite a number of years here mm -hmm. on the show. 
has this also sped up that? Are we going to see much like we're going to see maybe a change in the way that offices work for the average office person, cubicleville, maybe not being the way it was in the past. We going to see bank branches for the big boys changing too? maybe a lot fewer branches. Uh, if they had their way, there'd be a lot fewer branches right now. I mean, I think one thing that's interesting about bank branches is, is it's not that easy to close these. You, the regulars generally require you to have them. And this kind of been the view I, for a long time now that that's the best way to serve a lot of communities to have a physical bank there. And there's a lot of truth to that. I suspect we'll see a lot more closures. And, you know, that that's a double-edged sword because, unfortunately, the places that these branches close are places that are pretty underserved by financial products. And, um, you know, that vast majority of consumers who are getting, you know, they're getting mortgages or they have a problem or they're, you know, the small business loan. I mean, a lot of that's still happening in bank branches. So while, you know, as a fintech investor and somebody who was really excited about the space, you know, the idea of, JP Morgan closing 2000 branches, I think is not quite the win that it might appear to be. I think if you're thinking about really more from a financial inclusion and serving all of America, undoubtedly, we're going to see a lot of those closures. I, I can physical bank banking. I, I think it's going to be very hard after this because just because people's behavior changes. I hadn't thought about the underserved communities. And one thing I would not want to see, I mean, I've read a lot about, I think it was Capital One, you know, redesigning a lot of their bank branches to really be different and almost more like Best Buy has made their stores more of a showroom. You still buy it online, but you can actually go look at it, touch it, play around with it, see how it works ahead of time. Uh, I'm with you there. I hadn't thought about that. I want to pivot over to the investor side And talk about something you said earlier, which was that for a lot of these founders and fintech companies, investment dried up. So that would seem going back to the timeline, and you can tell me if this is right or not, would have been the same time that the stock market was just cratering back then. Of course, the stock market has roared back up over what, 44, 45%, I think since then. But it seems to be that at that time, there was a disconnect more people running toward these tools that these fintech creators are creating, but at the same time, investors going, oh, hell no, I'm not going to put money in these places where people are clearly running to. Was that a disconnect or is that just in my head? Oh, no, there's absolutely a disconnect. And the disconnect exists to this day. You know, the reality is no one knows what they're doing. No one has any idea what's happening right now in the market, in any part of the market. I've got my a new maxim I'm kind of living by, which is, you know, tomorrow's going to be a lot like today. Tomorrow's <laughs> going to be just like today. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's, think, no, it's not going to get, it's not going to change a lot. It'll be just like today. And, I think and, we all know what you're talking about. And the I, day after that will probably be like <laughs> tomorrow. And because it's, it's really hard to predict. And so when this happened, I know, I think the first thing is we saw people feel you know, when the stock market goes down 10,000 points or whatever, it dropped back in March. I mean, it makes people feel poor. And it's also really important to flag here. The most of the investment that's flowing into, you know, venture back startups is coming from big institutional investors who are, you know, they're, they're looking at the entire world of opportunity, investment opportunities. And so they're, they're worried about maintaining a balance in their portfolio and stuff like that. And so then the venture funds or deploying capital are very kind of keenly aware of what the risk tolerance of that kind of group of investors, which are you know, the big kind of allocators, you know, pension funds uh, with their risk tolerances. And so when they see this kind of shift happen, everyone's like, OK, we're going to have less capital to invest here. So companies should kind of cut back. You should think about trying to save money. You should you know, reduce your burn, those types of things. And so there was a retraction 
then that's going to affect everybody in the market. The products that are going to benefit from this, so like gaming companies or video conferencing or fintech, it just takes a while for people to kind of see what's happening. And so there's a disconnect that exists. At my stage of the market, the really early stage, I think we're certainly back into kind of boom time. So if anything, it's it feels pretty frothy here. Like we're seeing a lot of investment at the early stage in these companies. There's a lot of investment into the growth stage, which is kind of the pre-public stuff, which you've seen spill over the public market. Sure. But it is oddly correlated to you know, the S&P 500, which does seem counterintuitive given yeah. it's, you know, 10 years before these companies are going to be there. But yeah, it's strange. Let's talk about uh, FinVenture Studio. You guys are now opening up to a new class and new new people to come get some help from you. Let's talk about how that works again for people that are new to the show. So if somebody has an idea, an early stage fintech idea, what's important for them? We're investors. And so we'll invest kind of, however, you know, pretty early in the company's life cycle. We oftentimes are first kind of institutional investors into a company who is building product that can help consumers, small businesses, larger businesses better manage their financial lives. And so it's a pretty big remit. I think what we're looking for when we when we're meeting a, a founder is to kind of get a sense of a is this is this a real problem this founder's identified? Like, is this a big market? Do they have a deep degree of insight into how they can make this better or change it dramatically? Does she have the skills within the team to be able to do that? That's really important. You know, we are investing in technology companies and the ability to build technology and you know, software engineering is really important. And so I think, you know, for a lot of people who might have an idea, you know, they might not have those skills. I mean, that that's usually the first thing we, we really encourage them to go do is, you know, go find a technical co-founder, go find someone who can help you build this, who can be part of your team and kind of go along this journey with you. And that's really hard to do. But it, you know, it's frankly easier than uh, starting a startup. I mean, it's like it's like the first hard thing to do in a long list of very hard things. That's usually the most common thing I think we get when we hear someone has a great idea, a great vision. It's like you need to go find the person who can build this with you. And so typically by the time we're investing, they have found that person and they might have built something. And, you know, the thing that we're really focused on when we're making investment decisions is really just kind of the speed by which they learn and execute and build. And it's... um. I, I, there's not a lot more to it than that. I could talk about you know, product market fit and all this other stuff, but I, it's really about just like how fast someone can move through these different stages. You've got to be fast. You got to be very fast. You're up against so much and there's so many things you've got to do. And so many people you got to try to try to navigate in different stakeholder groups, especially in financial services, that the ability to kind of very quickly learn and iterate is really important and adapt. And I think COVID that was one thing that we became very obvious, I think, by like late spring is there were founders who were very, very fast to adapt and literally change our entire businesses within days. And there were others that didn't. And I think when we look back on this, the failure vector is going to be very closely related to those ones that just didn't adapt to the environment. It's um, funny. We saw a lot of the Shark Tank uh, people in the news a lot saying that same thing. That for the people that, you know, these sharks invested in, the founders that adapted and that changed very quickly were going to survive. But the vast majority of people, even the ones that they funded with their help, were going to go bye-bye. It's very hard. And you know, it's such an interesting thing. Like at our stage, it's a lot about personalities and emotion. There aren't that many numbers. There's not a lot of like equity value, quote unquote, that you could like glom onto. It's really about people and what they're doing. And it comes down to a lot of times just kind of how much you can kind of grind it out and adapt to what's happening. If somebody has an idea, they've started to build a team and they feel like they're at that point, Ryan, how do they get a hold of you guys? 
So they should apply www.finventurestudio.com and there's a link to our application process. One of the reasons we do this is to have a path where come people who aren't you know plugged into Silicon Valley networks can very quickly kind of get into the stream of it. And that's what we try to do. You know, a little bit of kind of how we operate. What our kind of vision here is when we think about financial services, there's really kind of, we think about kind of five kind of key stakeholder groups. It's very quickly, it's important to you know, go into that kind of key around fast, quickly connect to and build relationships with. And those are, you know, obviously other investors, these businesses require a lot of capital. And so the being in touch with those investors is important. Potential partners. So as you mentioned, you know, banks are really important. They're often holding money, insurance companies, and how you navigate those partnerships. What Zach does at Bond is a great example. His entire job is thinking about partnership. Media and kind of digital influencers, you know, Shannon Austin, one of our partners, that's a lot of what she does. You know her very well. And getting in front of people like you who can, who have audiences, they care about these. And you can kind of talk about your product and maybe a few hundred, a few thousand people use it and say, oh, actually, this works great. Or like, you know, this isn't that great. I mean, that's really important. And then regulators, these are regulated businesses. And so even if it's not regulated business at the seed stage, you know, it might be. And so building those relationships are important. And then the last group is other founders. You know, I think about COVID's a great example. There's literally nobody who knows anything about managing people remotely overnight in the world. Like that is not like a skill set that anyone had <laughs> before COVID. And so the only people who are learning how to do that are people who are doing it right now. And so you have this real time thing of like, hey, how are you kind of building camaraderie? Nothing I do works. I'm like, yeah, nothing I do works either. Okay, well, like, again, like, you can brainstorm with somebody who's got the same problems. And that's, I think, the long-term value of our model for many founders is you're building a network of people who are about the same stage you're at. You know, you might be competitors if you're ever public companies down the road, but it's, it's a long ways away. And so you have this opportunity to kind of compare notes and connect. It's interesting you say that a mentor of mine back when I was starting in my old financial planning career told me where there's also a lot of failure in the beginning, right? A ton of failure. She compared us to wolves and not in the way that wolves are, not in the way that wolves are predatory, but wolves are always this close to starving, right? They are always so close to starving, especially in the winter. And it's always the winter when you're a brand new financial advisor. And so pack hunting quote unquote, she said was incredibly important because you're seeing other people go through the same thing that you're going through and being able to share stories, not getting into what she would call, she would call one group of people you had to stay away from when you were pack hunting was called the cluster of misery. Stay away from those people. But the people that are going through it to understand and they can help lift you up and maybe solve some problems at the same time, I think is that type of quote networking, I think is hugely important in what you guys do. Absolutely. Ryan, uh, we will, by the way, link to uh, FinVenture Studio and the application on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Hang in there, buddy. Good luck figuring out what day it is. <laughs> like yeah. always, we appreciate you, man. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Joe. It's been a real pleasure to be here again. Hey, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And you know, it's very fitting that today on my crazy holiday calendar, it says it's International Day of Nonviolence, which I probably ought to remember because Joe's abandoned me again and apparently left Vermont for the West Coast in Palm Springs, California. My God, I mean, Texas, Georgia, then North Carolina, then Michigan, Vermont, and now California? While it's certainly not true, someone suggested that maybe Joe and his mom are actually trying to ditch me. (laughs) Nah, enough conspiracy theories. We don't want this to look like Facebook. So instead, let's get Stacy, Paula, and Len today's trivia challenge question. So, So I've been doing my homework, 
on this Palm Springs place. And so let's roll with that. Did you know that the greater Palm Springs area has the most pools per capita in the U.S.? Well, that's something to be proud of. So here's the question. How many pools are there? I'll be back faster than you can swan dive into the nearest pool. All right, we explained the very complicated rules to Stacy backstage <laughs> of this game. And for those of you who are new to this party, like Stacy is, we're having a year-long competition among our three contributors. Stacy's playing on behalf of OG, and it's a good news, bad news thing, Stacy. OG is in last place. He has 11 points. Paula has gone from last to tied for first. I don't know what the hell's happened to her the past couple of weeks, but she is 13. And of course, that means she's tied with Len with 13. So because of the fact, Stacy, that you're playing for the guy in last place, you get to decide first. Do you want to guess first? You want to guess in the middle or do you want to guess last? Oh, I definitely want to guess last. Very, very smart move. Paula, how about you in the middle or first? I will guess in the middle. All right, Len, you're kicking it off then. This area where I'm at now, this chain of cities that are in this little valley here, how many swimming pools are here? There's the most pools per capita. Okay, so you want the actual number of swimming pools, so the, the entire Coachella Valley, I take the it. The entire Coachella Valley, Palm Springs, Palm Desert, oh my La Quinta, gosh. Indio. Yep. Uh, let's see. That's a good one. My goodness. I wish I knew how many people were in the Coachella Valley. Um, well, I, I'm going to, first off, I'm going to make this estimate. I'm going to say probably 50% of the houses have pools. There are plenty of homes without pools there, believe it or not. I, I, you know what? I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't know how many people are in Coachella Valley. Uh, probably, a, let's say there's a million. I'm going to say 500,000 pools. 500,000 pools. Paula. Wow. Oh, wait, wait, wait. That's people. That's not homes. Hold oh, on. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. So, so let's say. Let's wait, do we say, give uh, takebacks? <laughs> so hold on. So, so let's say, I, I don't know, divide the people by four, 250,000. Uh, I'm going to say 125,000 pools. 125,000. I don't know if, I don't know if the judges should allow that. <laughs> This is a high stakes game, Mr. Penzo. But hold on, I'm revealing my my thought process to the my fellow competitors. <laughs> that, that is true. And I'm sure Paula Pant that helped you a ton. All that thought process coming out it of It sure did, except that the whole thing is based on a premise that's an absolute guess, which is the population. It's based on the guess that the population is a million, but what if the population is one point five million or two million? You're right. Yeah. So so, in other words, <laughs> we have precision, but not accuracy. <laughs> um, oh, dear. Let's see. Okay, so say two to three people per household, but there would be other entities besides households that have pools, such as hotels, gyms. Uh, none of this matters because I don't know the population anyway or the number of households. <laughs> I'm not even listening. <laughs> Stacy's Stacy's already learned how to use this competitive advantage. I'm, I'm on Google Maps right now counting swimming. 
<laughs> Once you get to take your time, take your time. Right. Paul is just finishing. He's at nine. <laughs> I know there's more than nine. So, Len, your guess was what, 125,000? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go. Uh, I'll go 400,000. 400,000 pools. Yeah. Well, Stacy, that gives you a lot of room between the two of those. What are you thinking? Here's the thing. This is really isn't fair. Here, here's the bad news for you guys. I took swimming pools in Palm Springs in college. So <laughs> I, actually, I actually majored in this. But here's the good news for you guys. I was a heavy pot smoker at the time and remember very little of my college experience. So, so I really don't know the answer. I did know the answer when I was 20, but I don't know the answer now. Tell me what the range was again. Uh, we've got 125 for Mr. Penzo and 400,000 for Ms. Pant. I think they're both too high. And I mean that mm-hmm. not in the way that I was in college. I mean, I think they're. <laughs> I'm going to go um, 124,999. Bam! <laughs> I think somebody has played this like a pro. That's incredible. <laughs> All right, we got our guesses locked in, and we'd love to tell you who's right, who's closest, but of course, we're going to have to make you wait for it. We'll be right back. Whether you're working from home, working on your fitness, working on a podcast, you want to listen to what you're listening to, to be what you're listening to, not what your roommate, your neighbor, significant other, your children are listening to. Everybody needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, but before you drop hundreds of dollars on a pair, have you looked at how expensive some of these earbuds are it's absolutely ridiculous check out wireless earbuds from raycon you already know raycon earbuds start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbud on the market and that they sound just as amazing as other top audio brands that you know the newest model the ones i'm wearing right now the everyday e25 earbuds They're the best ones yet. Six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, more compact design, gives you a nice noise isolating fit. Raycon's wireless earbuds are so comfortable, perfect for conference calls or for binging Stacking Benjamins episodes. Unlike some other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet. There's no dangling wires, stems, nothing to distract anybody during video calls you know what i like about it too is the little charging case that it comes in we have been traveling all over the united states lately and it makes it so easy to keep my earbuds charged and ready when i want them doesn't take up a ton of room when space counts and here on this uh epic road trip that we're on space definitely counts raycon in yet another way proves why they're best in class company co-founded by ray j of course celebrities like snoop dogg melissa etheridge og brandy jr smith mike tyson they're all obsessed with raycons now's the time to get the latest and greatest from raycon you'll get 15 percent off your order at buyraycon.com slash sb just because you're a stacker that's buyraycon.com slash sb for 15 percent off raycon wireless earbuds by raycon.com slash SB. Len, you kicked it off with 125,000 until uh, Mr. Johnson went. You were looking pretty good, big guy. Yeah, you know, hey, the odds are, uh, you know, they look pretty even between uh, all of us, really. I yeah, think you we're st- all in. You still got a lot of room. 
You still got a lot yeah. of upside because Paula. Well, we'll see. Paula, you gave him a lot of room at four hundred thousand. I did. I did. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know that delicate balance of wanting to set the 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 range enough that I can't be totally <laughs> Chelsea Brennan. Um, Paula, you're being very kind to me, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> I also have to say, though, Len, Paula's in an unfamiliar spot. How long has it been since she's been this close to the lead? Like, she had no yeah, idea what to do with that right. answer. She had no clue. She's like, I don't, that is weird. Paul's like, I don't get to go first. What the hell's up with this game? <laughs> or go last, rather. And then, Stacy, you've got uh, zero to 124,999. So if it is nine pools, you're going to win. <laughs> yes, that's true. I doubt it'll be nine pools. <laughs> Might be closer to 11. All right, Doug, uh, what is our answer? Hey, trivia fans. So I've been looking into this Palm Springs place, and it's actually pretty fascinating. While I always thought that Coachella was just a music festival, it's actually a town nearby. There's also an accidental huge lake in the desert that's been drying up called uh, the Salton Sea. And there's even a town called La Quinta. I guess residents all pay 89 bucks a night and get a free breakfast or something. Sounds like a fabulous place. My neighbor actually told me what the word La Quinta means. He said it means next to Denny's. See, there's still a part of this show where you learn something. But seriously, Palm Springs also produces 80% of the dates in the United States. I could use a couple of those. Uh, Greater Palm Springs is the only place where you'll take Gene Autry to Bob Hope or Dinah Shore because those are the street names. With more than 100 golf courses, many refer to it as the golf capital of the world, and it's also right next to Joshua Tree National Park. Now that I've wowed you with even more trivia, let's get back to today's official question, which was this. The Greater Palm Springs area boasts the most pools per capita in the U.S., but how many pools are there? Would you believe that between Palm Springs and the surrounding towns, there are 50,000 pools? Sounds like my kind of place. Hang on, Joe. I'm on my way to Palm Springs. Save a beach towel for me, buddy. Whoa. I actually well, I was definitely win. in the wrong order of magnitude. <laughs> Just so you guys know, had I lost that, I would have accused you of cheating immediately. <laughs> Believe it or not, Stacy, it doesn't matter because there's already an asterisk over this entire precedent. So what, what do I win? Yeah, so Stacy brings one home for OG. Uh, you win the, uh, the next time you see OG, you get a high five from him. You, Wait, you also get an, another Emmy. <laughs> another Emmy. Oh, those things, those things are like candy. I've got them all over the house. <laughs> so we haven't, we haven't told people about this. We should tell people what we're seeing. So we turn on My Dad Shortwave, one of the few shortwave radios that have video. And here's Stacy just casually with a couple Emmys sitting behind him. Just, you know, sitting right there behind him. Show off. Ra- randomly. <laughs> those old things. <laughs> oh, I honestly forgot they were there. I did. <laughs> <laughs> just right up. <laughs> That's great. So Stacy helps OG pull up to 12. He's now one away, man. Next week, we're on to see if he can get the tie. But for now, let's take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to us courtesy of magnifymoney.com. Stacy, you know what happens when you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money? 
What happens? Oh, it's amazing. You'll find those financial products you use every day. Nowhere near best in class, especially if you're at a brick and mortar bank. Over 92% of the products available online all rate to magnify money. So if you're looking for a checking account, better rate on your savings account, consolidation loans, better rewards from your credit cards, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. You're welcome, Stacy. by the way. What, what, what I'm looking for is an ad like that. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, welcome. How much to the- is it? I want to negotiate. <laughs> welcome to the world of podcasting. Joe got that without any Emmys, too. <laughs> you guys are not going to leave this. You're like a dog with a bone, huh? You're not going to leave me alone on this. Stacy, Stacy could be like, it's a win-win. You'll pay me five dollars less, and I have two Emmys. <laughs> All of a sudden, Brian at Magnify Money's like, Joe, you're done. I'm going with Money Talks News. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell him how to get a hold of me. It's Stacy. <laughs> well, before we get on to that, and and sad that this is Stacy's last appearance here. <laughs> Unless I've got a stack of Benjamins, and that hey, I can get back if on. you're sharing that. <laughs> Uh, uh, today we're going to help Bruce Wayne magnify his money. Say hi, Bruce. Hey, Joe and OG. I want to buy my first house and was wondering how to shop around for a mortgage. I'm wondering where to start and how to compare rates without having my credit ran too many times. Thanks. All right. Uh, Bruce Wayne sounds like he's in the back cave there, but I think we know exactly what he's, uh, asking Stacy. Let's start with you. He wants to compare rates, man. This is great for negotiation, isn't it? Wants to compare rates, wants to find out what's going on, but he doesn't want his credit run a bunch of times. Where does he go? Well, there, there are any number of places you can, and it's so easy to find a mortgage now relative to the way it used to be, you know, back in the olden days before the internet. I mean, you know, our website, probably all, everybody's website has, you know, a mortgage search feature on it. So it's really easy to compare rates. Just make sure you're comparing APRs and make sure your credit's not pulled until you've narrowed it down to the company that you're going to use. Or one or one or two, you know, whatever. You don't get your credit pulled every single time you talk to anybody. Uh, you negotiate your deal first, then you get your credit pulled. That's the key there. Just make sure you get just a standard rate, not one based on you specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, anything to add when you're shopping for a mortgage? I would say if you have a relationship with a particular banker or anything like that, you can always just fire off a quick email that says, hey, you know, if I were to refi or if I were to, you know, like pre- present the use of the property that you're getting, if I were to get a personal residence or an investment loan, uh, if this were a new mortgage or if this were a refi, if the refi is cash out versus if the refi is not, like present all of that and then say, you know, assuming assuming excellent credit, assuming a credit score of above 800, what would be the rate on a 15-year fixed or a 30-year fixed? Right. You know? or let's, say, let's say that somebody hypothetically has a credit score of 537. <laughs> hypothetically where would did you look me? at my credit report joe <laughs> Sorry. I mean, did that land close to homeland <laughs> wait we're talking sat scores or, or credit, credit score? i thought we were talking about 527 plans plus 10 <laughs> len uh anything to add for uh batman 529 plans Damn. Yeah, 527, 529, whatever it takes, Paula. Hey, uh, the only thing I'd say is, you know, I wouldn't worry too much about that. I mean, from what I understand, there's like a window anyways where if you get so many credit checks within, I don't know what it is, 30-day window or something like that, it only counts as one credit check. So sure. in theory, you could probably, you know, get within a 30-day window, might be a 45-day window, it's still only going to count as one credit check. And then even then, that portion of your credit report calculation, it's a very small portion. There's five 
different parts to a credit report score. And that one, uh, new credit, I believe it's only like 10% of your entire score anyway. So, I was just going to add one thing when it comes to, to mortgage shopping. is, And this, is, this has come up in our earlier conversation. Fees. There's nothing with more garbage fees than mortgages. Now, I have, I have not taken out any mortgage in several years, but I've, t- I've bought lots of houses in the past. Let me tell you an example. Also in Cincinnati, this took place. I'm buying a house, and on the settlement statement, just for closing, is a $300 origination fee, which was not anywhere else. And, and I'm literally closing in 20 minutes. Because they, they send you this the morning of your closing. I don't know what they do now, but that's what they did then. Uh, and, and I called the mortgage guy up, and I said, I'm not paying this. And he said, sir, it's, are you going to lose the house over $300? And I said, you bet your ass I am. And my wife was behind me, and she was panicked you know, that I was going to do this. But I, I would have. He said, $300 is nothing. And here's what I said. I'm so glad you think $300 is nothing. Then you can pay it. Because it's nothing. And he said, let me see if I can get that removed for you. Because <laughs> <laughs> unbelievably, it wasn't nothing to him. Isn't that weird? Yeah. It's yeah. so strange. Well, and, and that was going to be very close to my point, Stacy, which was I had a mortgage person tell me once that if you see an online publication where people are putting their just their best rates, best rates by independent mortgage companies, he said, called everybody's best lie. He said, because mm. you can make the rate lower and lower and lower and just pile on to your point, Stacy, just pile on fees to make up for yeah. the rate. Right. So they'll tell you that their rate is X, but that's with two points or it's a point and a half or whatever it might be. So they will just change the game because they know that people understand rates. They don't understand fees. So make sure you get the whole story and apples to apples comparison about how these rates compare. And I think you'll find, and this is what this mortgage guy said, and I still have found this to be the case. Everybody still is drinking out of the same pool at the end of the day. Sure. And the rates really among responsible banks are much, much closer than, than you think they are. When you're shopping. That, that's why it's important to know the difference between APR and APY, right? Because right. if they're the same, then you're probably getting, you know, they're not tacking on points or what have you on there. But if they're different, you better look. Well, you let's talk about that. It. Let's talk about that, Len, because I can hear people screaming at their device that don't know the difference between APR and APY. So annual percentage rate versus annual percentage yield. The latter is uh, that includes all the fees and all the all the costs of the loan tied into that. That's that's the true rate that you're paying. So yeah, not all the fees though. That's why one has to be careful because there are fees that will not be included. Points would be included, but the garbage fee that I just described may not be included in that APR. Oh, okay. See, I didn't know that. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, some of those closing costs, the one-time closing costs, will not sometimes be included on that. Yeah, you know what I do, guys, is I make a spreadsheet. I get five lenders from an online search and I'll put every single fee from every single one of them. And then I'll uh, make them fight with each other. You know, say like ABC company doesn't have a $300 origination fee. Why do you? His um, FedEx fee is $45. Yours is 60. I mean, it's just that simple. You need to get this stuff down or else I'm not going to deal with you. These are the kind of negotiations Paula loves. (laughs) Not even a little bit. (laughs) I would, you know, that that's why I like the model of find a place that just, their whole business model is give you a flat, fair price, but their negotiation is completely off the table. And it simplifies everything. You know, you get to the, you cut to the chase, you buy the thing, you move on with your life. Do you like it? Buy it. If you don't like it, please go away. Exactly. I like, like that. You know, it's like going to the grocery store. You want I some oranges at the grocery store? Get the oranges. If not, don't, but. 
But Paula, how are the middlemen going to make money? <laughs> I mean, that's baked in, right? Like it's, it's like any, it, again, it's like going to the grocery store. It's like buying shampoo. You know, you've got a flat rate and that's what it costs. And all of the overhead and the, the prices for the suppliers are baked into that. And if you want to pay it, you pay it. And if you don't, you don't. Did you say, Stacey, you're the opposite or the same? Yeah. You like that? Yes, I like, I like negotiating. And, you know, you could go, let's say you go to a car dealer and the price is the price. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, there's still going to be a transportation fee. You know, They're, they put all this crap on there. And, and, and transportation fee is a common one. In other words, you're paying, you're reimbursing them for getting that car from Detroit to their lot. You know, like, uh, I got to... I go to Target. They don't charge me transportation to get the toilet paper in their store. I mean, what, what the <laughs> hell? This is just junk. Transportation fee on your toilet paper. Well, hold, hold on. Hold on, Stacy. Is that true? Because I just paid I paid a, a 50 cent transportation fee for the last, <laughs> for the last time I bought TP. Now they're doing a COVID fee sometimes <laughs> in restaurants. I'm like, I'm not going to pay you to give me COVID. I can get that for nothing for my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Paula, you were going to say? Oh, just that, uh, well, with a, with a place like Carvana, and I'm, I'm not trying to shill for that particular company. That's just the one that I have experience with. It's all flat. It's all publicly disclosed. It's all just out there. Like, this is the price. These are any fees, if applicable. And boom, here it is. It's on the website. We're not going to sneak in anything funny. There's no sign on the dotted line, some weird stuff going on. Like, it's like going to the Home Depot website to buy a refrigerator. You know, if I go to Home Depot to buy a refrigerator, maybe there's a delivery fee, maybe not, depending on the policies of that Home Depot, but I'm buying the fridge, I am either getting free delivery or I'm not, and that's it. Paula, I have to tell you something. Mm-hmm. I just bought a refrigerator, not just, six months ago. My refrigerator mm-hmm. started making noise, like, I went out to uh, Lowe's. I got $800 off that refrigerator. You know why? First of all, I couldn't get, you ever gone to one of these warehouse stores? Of course you have. There's nobody working there, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm in this apartment, ready to pay $2,500 for a refrigerator. And 45 minutes later, I could not get a single human being. And so mm-hmm. finally the manager comes over and I'm like, I hope you don't think I'm going to pay $2,500 to a stand refrigerator now. I am pissed as I could be. Plus, I'm, the only one they have was the floor model. I want a discount for that. And this has a scratch on it too. I got that 25, I think it was $25.99. I got it for two grand. Yeah, so what I just heard is that you spent at least an hour at Lowe's plus commuting time there and back. So that must have been like two hours to three hours yeah. of your life yeah. versus yeah. 10 minutes online. Yeah, but at least I got money. I got paid for it. At least I didn't go in there and just pay the, their sticker price. Uh, you, you might have gotten paid for it. You might have not. Like the probability of finding a floor model with a scratch is not 100% for every trip like that that you make no but he was already there and was already shopping for the thing i mean you didn't go in there looking for the floor model or hoping to spend three hours getting a a refrigerator yeah i mean if you're in a situation where you happen to spot a floor model with a scratch then sure you can say hey this is the floor model with a scratch like you can ask for it but to go out and search for a deal you know to to physically go to the store and to spend 45 minutes there searching for that deal when you could just go online and buy the thing in 10 minutes and then move on. Oh, and, and right. you know, that's, it's just not a, an effective use of time. Well, it depends. Here's a, here's a shopper, shopper sent for appliances. If you carry a nail with you in your pocket, you can make <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> oh no, please complain to Stacy at money talks news. <laughs> that is that how Stacy won the that Emmy. That was Lynn. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
Stacy's latest Emmy was was because of his series about scratched refrigerators. <laughs> Everyone I buy seems to have a scratch. I don't know why. It's just horrible. Right <laughs> in the same place. Hey, Stacy. So you got the refrigerator that scratch. Is your refrigerator running? Yes. Oh, oh. Uh, what are we eight? <laughs> I, I thought I recognized you. It was from middle school. We went to middle school together. I almost made it. I almost got there. You he did caught me just before. All right. On that uh, bad joke note, let's uh, wrap this thing up. We're going to let the gentleman of honor go last. Uh, Len. Oh, wait a minute. You're going to go first. Whoa. Hold on. <laughs> you let the gentleman of honor go last and you go right to me first. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> Once again. What's going on at LenPenzo.com, my friend? At LenPenzo.com and at sister site, ThePersistentItch.com, I share a method that my mom and dad have used for many years to save money doing laundry. Now, they have their laundry at home, but they've still used the fact that they use laundry, and there's a little trick they use, and they've managed to save about $1,500 every year with this little trick, and I share that. It's a, an old family secret, and it actually works very well. They skip the detergent. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh darn it, Joe. <laughs> the clothes smell like hell, but who cares? Right. No, that's not it. <laughs> oh, swing and a miss. Paula, how about it afford anything? On the Afford Anything podcast, we have an interview with Gretchen Rubin, an expert on habits and happiness. And a New York Times bestselling author. So she joins us. Uh, It's actually a re-airing an episode from the archives, but it's uh, one of our original ones uh, that many people haven't heard. So we share that on the Afford Anything podcast. We also air a brand new interview with Dr. Gleb Sapersky, who talks about lessons from the year 2020 and how to apply some of what we've learned in research around uh, living a good life in the context of living this year. What is this? You're different the most? Yeah, you know, a little bit. <laughs> just, just a smidge. Somebody, by the way, in our Facebook group pointed to a Motley Fool set of predictions from the beginning of 2020 about what was going to happen this year, <laughs> like before any of this stuff hit. And reading through it was just, you know, those uh, listicles you'll see online where it says like number seven made me LOL or, yeah. or well, whatever. Every single one of these, you're like, yeah, you missed on that one. Yeah, that wasn't even remotely true. But anyway, that's all at affordanything.com. Yeah. And Stacy, thanks for hanging out with us, man. That was fun. I really had a great time and I appreciate you guys having me. I'm honored to share the stage with all three of you. Well, we're honored to share some time with those two Emmys sitting behind you, my friends. So. <laughs> you will never, you'll never be able to touch them. Okay, so admire them from where you are. He's like, back away, pal. Tell us what's happening at Money Talks News. Well, I'm trying to get my podcast up and running, which is why I'm spending so much of my time begging to be on other people's podcasts. But uh, we've got coming up on our podcast, which is just called Money. I want to do Trump versus Biden. I've got three podcasts coming. Who's best for Social Security and health care? Who's best for income taxes? Who's best for the stock and the real estate markets? Uh, and then I've also got a podcast coming up, How I Turned $1,400 into Over a Million Dollars in the Stock Market. Wow. I'm, a, I'm, a stock, I'm an individual stock buyer. And we will link to Money Podcast on StackyBedjamins.com. All right, that's going to do it for us, everybody. Thanks again for playing. Doug, you got it from here, my friend. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? 
First, take some advice from Stacy, Len, and Paula. Negotiate. What can the other person say if you ask for a deal? No? You're already at no. The only way to get a yes on a better deal is to ask. Second, take a lesson from our Friday FinTech segment. You should always be looking for ways to automate more of your financial life so you can more easily focus on the big picture. But the big takeaway... Don't show Gertrude your swim trunks before you pack them, especially if you have a spotted leopard print on them and a SpongeBob. Who lives in a pineapple under the sea? Absolutely not Gertrude. Special thanks to Stacy for joining us on the roundtable today. You can find Stacy on his podcast, Money with Stacy Johnson, wherever you are listening to this podcast. We'll also have a link on our show notes page where... You guessed it, at stackingbenjamins.com. Also, a special thanks to Ryan from Financial Venture Studio for discussing with Joe their new class. You can check out all the latest at finventuresstudio.com for all the details. Of course, we'll have a link on our show notes page. Ah, you already know. Paula Pant appears courtesy of affordanything.com and the Afford Anything podcast. This show is created by Joe Saul Seahide, produced by Karen Rapine, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and if you could only know what it really smells like down here. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Welcome to the after show, Stacy. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. What happens in the after show stays here. We don't. We don't. <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> we, if you have to, we have had people from time to time that have had to talk about it, and they call it dessert. If they call it dessert, that's okay. But but otherwise, we just don't talk about this. But I was hiking at uh, Joshua Tree National Park. By the way, Len Penzo gave me a great hike recommendation to the Eagle Cliff Mine, which is not on the map of official hikes and Lynn, what a, what a great hike to a mine with all kinds of the miners just picked up and left their stuff. And this is late 1800s and all the things are still there. There's still jars and pans and all kinds of stuff still there. 
Yep. Glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, that was fun. You could have turned the heat down a little bit, but besides that, we were we were we were good. <laughs> <laughs> I'll work on that next. Time. Yeah, uh, it was about ten degrees cooler up in the mountains than it is uh, down here on the valley floor. But on that note, we're up at Joshua Tree. One of the things they say is that it's beautiful under the stars, right? Because you don't have any of this light pollution because you're so far out and um, so far up. So we go to this place called Keys View, which is this top mountain overlook. And we get there and we park and there's quite a few people there, but we walk up to this viewing area and there's maybe 30 people in the dark. Most people have found a place on the little sidewalk and they're on their back because you just have the Milky Way out. And and it's just amazing to see all these, the sky just littered with stars and it makes you feel so insignificant. But at the same time to see all these, I mean, we saw Mars and Venus and Saturn and all the different constellations and just sat there and you could hear people having these nice conversations around us. You know, when you've got maybe 30 people in a small area like that, didn't bother me. It was actually pretty nice. It was almost like a campfire without the fire, right? You just looking out at the stars. And then some woman (laughs) gets up, who's right in the middle of everybody, takes her two cell phones flashes these big bright lights on and shoves her hand out toward the sky. And I'm fairly certain that she was doing like a a video. And I don't know if she was holding her hands in place for just a long period of time, just so she could make sure she got the stars, but she held her hands straight up and uh, people started loudly complaining. At first there was just kind of a murmur, like what the hell got all of these people around and she's standing in the middle of us with her hands straight up and these bright cell phones can't see the stars hardly at all anymore. We, We thought she quit. Well, person by person or group by group, people just get up and they leave. Like, what are you going to say to her? People kept more and more loudly, like, what's going on over there? Hey, what's what's the issue? And anyway, so the people left. And then it was just her and Cheryl and I that were left because I guess we were the dumbasses that thought that she'd finally stop. And she put her arms down twice and turned them off. We're like, okay, she's done. And then it's like her arms are just tired because 30 seconds later, she shoves her arms back in the, in the sky and turns the lights out again. Like, what the hell? So 30 people walked away. So Cheryl and I walked away, and this is just my passive aggressive nature I learned from my mom. I turned on my flashlight like I was walking. And as I walked by her, I just shoved my flashlight in her face. And she's looking at me like, whoa, get the light out of my eyes. Yeah, anyway, just people are amazing. And I was wondering if you guys might have some stories about people being amazing. <laughs> amazing. That's what you want to call it? Amazing. If you can't think, think of a stupid person joke, I mean, or stupid person story, there are a lot of stupid people in the world is my point. <laughs> a lot. I'll tell you one. Okay. My wife, uh, my wife's a nurse practitioner. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> I'll tell you what, my wife, holy crap, dude. <laughs> no, she's, she can hear me. So you can be assured I'm not going to say anything except wonderful things about my flawless wife, who's an awesome person. She's a nurse practitioner and a friend of ours was having a party on July 4th. Just a few people. Now I live in Florida. There's a lot of COVID going on even now, but there was a lot then. Uh, and, uh, I said, let's go. She said, no, I'm not going to a party. I'm going to any kind of party uh, right now, not this weekend. And he ended up, I guess, I think some people just saw cars in his driveway. He ended up with 60 people at his house. Oh, my. 40 got COVID. (gasps) Oh. 
There, but by the grace of God, go I. You know, I mean, I would have gone, but I'm married to a healthcare professional. She's like, no, you're not. You're not going there. Isn't that, that that's who I took my cues from? Uh, Cheryl also is in the medical community, Stacy. And it's funny when you talk to doctors, because we have quite a few doctors that are friends. And you see how serious they're taking it, right? Versus yeah. how half mm-hmm. the people I talk to on Facebook are taking it. I'm like, I'm just going to follow the doctor. You know, I don't, I don't want to get into the rules of whether we should have rules or not. But for me, I'm going to kind of uh, take my cue from these medical people. Yeah, color me science. I'm a science guy. I'll listen to scientists. That's crazy. But you t- know what, Joe? I will guarantee you at that party, I wasn't there, so I don't know. But I will guarantee you at that party was a woman with two cell phones holding them. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's like, what the hell is she doing? <laughs> Paula, Len? I mean, I, I kind of have the opposite story of, of the one that you just told, Stacy. So I was up in Massachusetts. I was in a very, very small town. And this particular small town has, uh, every year they have like a little neighborhood block party. But then this year, because of COVID, they thought that it was going to be a bad idea, but they, they sort of wanted, they wanted to put something on. And so the woman who threw it, she said up front, she was like, all right, here are the rules. First, everybody stays outdoors. You're not allowed to come inside, not even for the bathroom. We're going to rent a porta potty. Uh, if you need to use the porta potty, it's going to be out in the yard, but no, no indoors. You have to bring your own food and drink, uh, no sharing. And you have to bring like a little blanket and spread it out in the yard. Keep to your own blanket, keep masks on. Like she had so many rules. By the time you got done with the end of the rules, you're like, well, this doesn't sound like much of a party, <laughs> yeah, but all right. <laughs> Sounds like prison. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went and, and, you know, certainly like people violated some of the rules. Like, you know, people, people were like sharing like, hi, like, hey, do you want some of my snacks? I brought some tortilla chips. Would you like some? You know, in, in that way, people were sharing food. But like, because the expectation had been set in such a firm way, even with people transgressing the the rules, even with people leaving the their own blankets and going to visit the people as four blankets over, it was still like a very well-managed, very well-done party, you know, of only, I think, maybe about 20 or 30 people. So you saw the opposite, somebody doing it the maybe the right way. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and she set the expectations to such a strict extent that even flouting those expectations still put you at a benchmark. She Essentially, she anchored way at the extreme. So even deviating from the anchor still set you at a healthy benchmark, relatively healthy benchmark. You, you lost me at Porta Potty. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's definitely not going. I can promise you that. Are we going to kill therapy? You got one, Len? Well, this one actually affected me. Back in the days when I was a rock and roller, We actually were a rock and roll band. My dad had a friend who owned a bar in downtown San Bernardino. I can't remember the name of the bar. It's been so long ago. And, but it was a country and Western bar. But, uh, you know, to do my dad a favor, this guy wanted us to play his country bar. So we went to his bar and our rock band set up and all night long, it was a polite crowd. They were, they, you know, they were tolerating us. But after a while, you know, the crowd was getting drunk and there was this one guy in the back. Uh, his name was Dog, and he got he was really drunk. By, by the way, not D O G D A W G. 
Well, I, <laughs> yeah, probably right. Yes. Anyways, the whole, you know, while we were playing in the middle of the songs, he'd be, you know, it, it started very mild, but it got louder and louder as the night progressed. And he'd be yelling at us, ah, you know, play this, play that. Don't you know any, you know, Mel Tillis or don't you know any, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Then he starts saying, we're, we're into like the third set. He's like, I want to come play up there with you guys. Let me up there and play with you guys. So we just we just ignored him. Well, the final set, he decides he's going to play. We start playing. I forget what it was, what the song was, but it was some rock song. And he decides to pull out his his harmonica while we're playing. So we're up there <laughs> playing, and he starts wailing on this harmonica. You know, if you're playing a song in a certain key, I know we were, it was, we were like, we're playing the key of E or, you know, A, I can't remember. It was one of those two keys probably. And he it just, he has this harmonica, this cheap harmonica in the key of C, and he starts wailing on it. And if you're in a band and you, you know, you hear somebody playing out a key, it doesn't matter how, you can't concentrate up on stage. And we just, the whole band just collapsed. I mean, this right in the middle of the song, it just totally disrupted us. And I'll never, to this day, I don't forgive Dog for messing us up in our fourth set. That was the night, by the way, the the buyer from Capitol Records was there. That's how <laughs> yeah, that. Right. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And here's Lynn, an engineer. What could it have been? <laughs> yeah. That's back when I was still having pro. I, I was still having a. Uh, uh, identity issues there, Stacy. You still look like a rock star to me. Hey, Stacy. Before we go, I just want to say, you said you're 65. You look fabulous, my friend. Well, who does your work? I appreciate that. You know what they say: you're only as old as the person you're feeling. My wife. That's. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month, and I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law Eric who is such a giving person, Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website. Resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life. And Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.